0: could be what we're saying is Jerusalem can only be victorious when it chooses the side
1: of the lamb. Amen. Amen.
0: true believers and welcome to Simply Devotion, the podcast that is all about seeking Jesus on deeper theological levels because he is worthy of all of our devotion. To Simply Devotion. I'm Pastor Vinny, and this is the podcast where we talk about why Jesus is worthy of all of our devotion. This is actually part two of a series we're doing on. Jesus and Jerusalem as a part of season two, where we are talking about the historical Jesus and his interactions with both the time and place and culture, but also land and, of course, the major city of Jerusalem. Last week, we began with my co-host, Jonathan Martin, and a guest host, Peter Thomas, and we began to look at the history of the city of Jerusalem. We looked at its origins, going all the way back to Melchizedek and going forward to David and to Jesus' arrival and Jesus' prediction of the fall, the destruction of Jerusalem. We're going to pick it up there in a minute. If you'd like to go back and listen to the last episode, it will um, definitely edify your understanding of the history of Jerusalem and why it's such a central city in the life and, of course, death of Jesus. And the reason we would want to understand the past and Jerusalem's past and how it intersected with the life and death of Jesus Christ is because Jerusalem, its rise and its fall and its destruction in 70 A.D., all are pointing forward to a major event even recorded in the book of Revelation. As we get further into this episode, our guest historian Peter Thomas along with myself and Jonathan Martin will break down the siege of Jerusalem and break down how Titus sacked Jerusalem and from there we will look forward to what happened after destruction. Of Jerusalem. Often people will talk about the destruction of the city in 70 AD. Rarely, though, do I hear people talk about what happened after its destruction. How did we go 2,000 years from the destruction and arrive at the establishment of a new nation of Israel and a restoration of the city that is actually cut into four quadrants? In our time, there is the Jewish quadrant, the Christian quadrant, the Islamic quadrant, and the Armenian quadrant. And somehow we all get along or attempt to. We're not doing that bad at the moment in this one city, celebrating this incredibly rich heritage and history and happenings that This whole two part podcast has been and will be about that said, there is a past Jerusalem, there's a present Jerusalem. And as we will find out, there is even a future Jerusalem and all the stages of Jerusalem all have to do with Jesus one way or another join me now as we go to already in progress our previous recorded uh interview with jonathan and peter and myself as we just back up a few minutes into uh, what you heard last episode to ease you in to this full production and understanding of the significance of the city called Jerusalem, and Jesus, enjoy.
1: We also have to remember what we spoke about. Jesus is the fulfillment of both sin- the function of synagogue and the function of the temple. Uh, Jesus is, right. he is the fulfillment of those two very important religious institutions. And Jesus makes an even clearer connection to himself and the temple when he when he told uh the religious leaders uh you know destroy this temple and in three days i will raise it up again good point uh so jesus is making a very clear connection between himself and the temple and what i find super fascinating about this is that both both of these temples, the physical temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and Jesus, the fulfillment, the temple in the flesh was destroyed, but there's only one temple that was rebuilt. John, you are bringing
0: home my theology altogether.
1: And, and, and that is Jesus Sorry if I stole your thunder but, but no, You, you didn't mean,
0: steal my thunder You just connected my theology John has just brought it full circle and, and he's pointing out That Jesus replaces both The teaching and the atonement And when it comes to the atonement The old goes down
1: And only the new comes back up And so We don't need to look To the temple In Jerusalem anymore and it stays destroyed because it serves no purpose anymore. Instead, we focus our attention on Jesus, the temple that was rebuilt.
0: Right. Now, Jesus warned people, you know, the Sermon of Olives, where he predicts the temple going to come down. He warns people about the Desolation of abominations Which means the unthinkable thing That Daniel talked about (laughs) And what's the unthinkable thing that Daniel Talked about? Well what were they dealing With in Daniel's time? The temple Was destroyed (laughs) Right? So Jesus is like watch out for The desolation of abominations That Daniel talked about You know It's going to come and he's like there's gonna be these people, and they're gonna say, "There's a new Messiah. He's over there. He's in the desert." You know, kind of what these scenes are saying. You know, and 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 he's like, you know, the love of many will grow cold, and mother will kill brother. It's kind of like the zealots are doing, <laughs> and and false prophets. You know, and all these things are happening, and he's describing the spiritual condition. Of his people When the temple Comes down But he gave a warning to the Christians That they should get out And Peter When he read Josephus He he, he very well described This to me How this happened That the Christians got in Got out and, And what happened to them So tell us about that And tell us what did Jesus mean In Matthew 24 Peter in connection to the Christians getting in and out, when he said that what was about to happen, there had never been anything that bad before.
2: Right. And the way Titus said about the siege and before the Romans started to lay siege, Jerusalem was already in a civil war. Right. Two main factions and they're actually splinter factions off of that. Right. That itself made Jerusalem untenable really to be in. Yep. because you had these people that were killing each other, but yet they were still going to the temple and offering sacrifices. Yep, They were still doing that, even though they learned at some points, one faction, you had to fight your way through to get to the Levites, then you had to fight your way back out. So you got blood of the animals that have been killing you, had the blood of the people there. So it was just really bad and, and it was just really awful that the people said, well, what side are you on? And you, you couldn't switch sides. It was just bad. But Titus comes around and he wants to, plus his last siege, and again, what I think what made the Romans' zeal for eventually coming through what they did is that the, the the people living in Jerusalem at that time actually put up a surprising fight. So much so, the first time, and you can see these um, there are a couple of really good videos that I found on YouTube reenacting this um, through an animated form. The first time, Titus just says, "Let me surround this. Let me." jog around the city, basically just taking this league, just getting a lay of the land and seeing this is what we have to overcome. So just so he can, you know, basically tell his troops, this is a strong points, this is the weak points, this is the way the land is. In doing so, the the people in the city, the armies at the city at the time on the wall, saw, look, Titus's group is marching around the city just trying to get a feel. Let's go out and try to do a probing attack now. It caught Titus completely by surprise. So much so that at one point he was surrounded, and he barely got out alive. This is where prophetic meets actual. Historians will say he was Titus was very lucky. He easily could have been killed. He wasn't. He fought his way out um, to get back to his troops, and then therefore he said, "Look, we have to be careful. These guys are more formidable than we thought. So this is going to take. This is going to be harder. In the sense that." Every time they would try to come in and either lay siege or just cut off certain roots, it would get harder. So the first time Titus' army came in, other peaceful or dark Jews just looking to go in to do temple and then to leave to do sacrifices for the temple and come back, they were allowed to. but... They knew that this is going to get bad without Titus telling them, but they knew, and I think the Holy Spirit said in Jesus' words, play that your fight isn't the winner, you know, or or whatever. They basically saying this, that a force is going to come, that's not going to allow you to go. So the people that knew or saw what coming, not only from from Jesus' words, basically basically because this is how Roman armies operate, eventually they're going to really tighten up the loose where they're not going to allow you to go. So those who were smart, got out uh, before he really started to lay siege. And after a couple of other really hard pitched battles, um, again, they fought a pretty hard fought against the Roman, but this was a really pretty well trained veteran Roman force. So they had their hands full. Titus said at one point, I think after a couple of battles, he said, that's it, because he was kind of tacitly allowing these are peaceful, the, the civilians will let them go. Um, I just really want the core group. So I'll let them go. Um, They don't have to go back to the city, but I'll let them go. And at one point he said, I'm not even gonna let them go. So when he would surround the city, it got to a point where even if you you weren't gonna be part of the group that was gonna let go, if you made your way out, the Romans would find you and they would crucify you. He wanted to make a point, nobody leaves the city. Right. Nobody, we're cutting everything off. So, and then when Romans crucified people, it wasn't just men. It was women and children right to prove a point that no you're not, yeah you're, you're ruthless um and that's on top of all the chaos that was still going on inside the walls of jerusalem on top of people and this is thing it was around people were still coming in to do like you mentioned passover people were still coming into the city in advance because we have to make our pilgrimage Even though, you know, it's this is, you got Roman army outside, even though the Roman army wasn't there, it was crazy. And that's what Jesus was saying at a time never before seen before, because it was crazy on top of chaotic, on top of insane. The Jews that were there, not only the the, the factions that were warring themselves, they said, we can still go out and fight the world. They were just agitating them more. And... I think they were under the false belief that we can still beat them, even though, I mean, he says, no, you cannot beat this army. This army is undefeated.
0: They're not taking chances.
2: Yeah, they're not taking any chances. They're going to come through and did it. I mean, and even with that, it still took them... A strategic effort because they had to breach certain sections of the city and what they would do is it would just collapse in you got the outer walls they had fortifications of the inner walls temple of Nerics palace that was another fortification so the romans strategically had to conquer different sections of the city so
0: they're until, taking it in stages
2: right and so it contracted more and more and so you had civilians that were compressed more and more um and you've been to that valley the um the kid around yep. yeah yeah that's where it became like a valley of blood because all the carcasses that were slaughtered they would just throw them over and we don't have any other room to bury them. there's no place to bury them titus didn't want to destroy the temple why because of um material this is gold there's there's value there he purposely said i don't want you guys to burn the temple because there's too much valuables there i can take back why would I burn something that you know I got gold and silver and we you heard the, the thing? So he wanted him and his officers to get that. So that's why he specifically said, do not burn the temple. The 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 passion and hatred that the Roman soldiers had built up for a group that had sabotaged them at every point. It says we got a chance to really squash them. And they saw the temple, even though Titus says don't burn the temple. Somebody started a fire. You know, once a fire gets started, they can't stop. And even Titus couldn't stop them. Once you know, once the total army decides to revolt, a leader just has to say, "I'll let it pass," because that's the only thing I can do. It dies down, then I can restore order. And Titus and his leaders knew we can't stop this, even though we told them specifically, it's too many of them. And again, it's just prophetic.
0: Jesus said, "Jesus said, not one stone will be upon the
2: the other." Even defying. The orders of a Roman general Mm -hmm. It went through And they still destroyed the temple Because Titus again He wanted the gold and the material that was there So I could take this back to Rome and brag Hmm.
0: So, So the tradition is That because of the words of Jesus In the Sermon of Olives In Matthew 24 That the Christians got out Is that true Or is that just tradition And if so when did they get out
2: They got out Now, I can't say, did all the Christians get out? You know, maybe some of them stayed back because we don't know that. But we know a lot of them got out because A, because of the words of Jesus, and B, um, Titus and his armies was going around all of Judea and they were taking city because they knew this rebellion is getting too big. Jerusalem was a prize, but they were going around other cities doing the same thing. So even if you didn't believe Jesus' words, you knew what the Roman army was about to do, and you knew they were serious based on the size of the army. And with the being, a good, you know, Christ warned us this was going to happen. The army is here. They had plenty of forewarning, warming, so they got out. It's mostly the Jews that said, no, they're not going to take over. We're, we, we still have our tradition. God is still with us, that stubbornness. It um, is an anecdote. The stubbornness still stays, stayed, I mean, Josephus has, and I think this part, I think he, he did a writer's embellishment when the when Titus finally did come to the city, and he made this long speech of basically giving the history of Rome conquering and that and that kind of like mini history of what the Jews were to them and saying that we gave you all kinds of chances and you didn't, you know, I think it's a little bit more fl- flowery than what it's, Titus would it's, have it's said. It's
0: Josephus trying to make his new his uh, new boss happy.
2: Right. It makes him look a little bit more eloquent than he probably was, not that Titus wasn't. Right. But essentially, even then, Titus, they, they came to, you know, the, the, the two leaders, okay, here's our terms. And Titus is like, what? No, here's our terms of um, us letting you have the Jerusalem. What do you mean? We took the city. There's no terms. But that faction was still so far gone that they still thought they had bargaining
0: power. Right. right.
2: No, you have no bargaining power, but that that just shows you how far gone they were and how far removed they were from being under the covenant of God, that everything that Jesus said was going to happen, it happened. They'd seen it happen. They helped cause it happen. They have a Roman general that's there standing on their throat, and they still thought no we hear the terms of how we're going to surrender that's how far gone that the, the official jewish leadership was um as far as removed from reality and the stubbornness is what it what did god say you're a thick neck people you're a stubborn people that's how far their stubbornness went even in the case of the overwhelming defeat you put up a good fight at a certain point you know I'll give you credit for that but at that point it was done it was over the, the temple was destroyed Um, And I know you've read accounts too of when the temple and the fire started, the armies that were fighting against the Roman and the people, there's this great moan that you said that, 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 that Josephus, I guess, says you could hear all throughout the land, and I believe that. Because you remember the moan that happened mm-hmm. when Solomon's temple was destroyed, and the right. moan of those people. I agree; it's the same moan that probably had. that realized this is our symbol. This is what makes it us. It
0: happened who again. We, are. we did it again.
2: Yeah, we did it again.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this is the end of a covenant. This is the end of an era, right? Literally, Titus levels the city buries the temple and erects a statue of Venus, of Venus on top of it to defile it. And it's not until Helena, the mother of Constantine, after Constantine converts, Helena comes through Israel, apparently finding the true cross of Christ. I don't want to get the error of any Catholics up. (laughs) But Helena, let's say this. Helena comes back After Jesus not only predicted the destruction of the temple, but even Rome. And Helena and Constantine are in some ways a symbol of the eventual defeat of Rome. Because they now are yielding to Christ. In many, many of the Holy Land sites we have, we we have really to thank Helena for. Because she not only found them, but she restored them and use the power of the Roman Empire to protect them. Now, we may not particularly as Protestants be big fans of the eventual union of the Roman Empire and Christianity, but many of the things we have about Jerusalem, we have because of Helena in about 326 AD, but you have a series of Jerusalem never being sovereign again. Israel never being sovereign again, it just keeps getting passed from you know, the Ottoman Empire the the Muslims you got the Crusade, you got Byzantine Christians, you got Byzantine Christians, you got Persians who rule it, you, you 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 have you know, Muslims who build, this is where the Dome of the Rock comes in
2: and, and Benny Alpo mentioned that's also mentioned in Deuteronomy 28, God would said, you will be like husbands watching your wives and your children get passed around from person to person to person and you will be helpless to do anything about it.
0: Mm. Very interesting, Peter. You've really brought out Deuteronomy 28 well, right? This that What Moses said, if they were not faithful, this is these are the things that would happen to them, right? And, and Peter has been pointing out throughout the episode of all the things that keep happening to them, right? And, you know, It just keeps changing hands and there's this book that I want to recommend to the podcast listeners. If you're really interested in this era, like I just wanted to understand it. So there's this book by, by Simon Sebag, S-E-B-A-G, Simon Sebag. Um, it's called Jerusalem, the biography, and it's written from the point of view as if Jerusalem is a person and here's its biography, you know, and there are times after the destruction of Jerusalem and people, as we said, in the crusades, they tried to rebuild it. They never could. <laughs> you know, they put all the rocks back in the wrong place when they put the Temple Mount back together. You know, many people tried. But there were times, according to Simon Sebag, that, they, that, that people who owned or had sovereignty power over Israel or at least Judea, would even lease the name to kings Who wanted to be called the king of the Jews Or the king of Israel Or the king of Jerusalem, right? Like, like basically Not only did it lose its sovereignty It's just apple of God's eye It became a complete mockery Of what it was intended to be I And mean, actually the first movements back to Israel Of Jewish people back to Israel Semitic people back to Israel Actually start happening before the Second World War, they start migrating back. Because Second World War doesn't happen in a vacuum. And Hitler doesn't happen in a vacuum. Anti-Semiticism is all over Europe for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And there's actually even socialist movements to help Jews get back into the Promised Land. You know, secular Jews. Because of racism even before second world war second world war made it so bad right it's just terrible what happened ottoman empire had control of it muslim group britain gets control of it britain really messes up trying to divide it up to the point that they're just like let's give it to the united nations (laughs) like we don't know what to do you have this problem right you have this problem where yeah The land was given to the Jews, to Abraham, and it is their ancestral home, but they've also been off of it for 2,000 years. And now because this horrible thing happened, and there's no downplaying the Holocaust and the Second World War. Everybody wants them to have their land back, but what about the people who've been living there, you know, in this movement of coming and going? and, And so finally we have what we have. The middle east crisis right and okay i don't know we can see it as if israel's back but are they with walls going through the middle of their cities and you know the palestinian israeli conflicts that have been in the news this year when i was there john one of the planes with some of our pastors in it had a diverted course because of missile
1: activity <laughs> i don't know it's definitely a, a shadow of of what it once was Um, and because of the close relationship between Israel as a nation and their religion I mean they still don't have a temple they still don't have a place to offer sacrifices.
0: <laughs> the city is still split in half in cordons, right? There's a cordon yeah. for Jews, a cordon for Muslims, and a cordon for Christians. The dome of the Rock is where the temple is, right? According to, again, the Jews, and archaeology, I think, is on their side, the Dome of the Rock, the rock that the Dome is covering. Is where the the Ark of the Covenant Was supposed to sit in the temple The literal spot Again according to rabbinical Tradition Who could know for sure But according to rabbinical tradition Not only is the Dome of the Rock The rock that the dome is covering The spot where the Ark of the Covenant Would have sat in the temple It's this rock That Isaac laid on And Abraham almost killed him on. Now, again, Muslims do not believe, they believe in Abraham and they believe that Abraham is their father, but they dispute. Isaac's importance, so they don't accept that being that spot. They actually think it's some hill out in Shechem. <laughs> um and 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 you know, are they right? I don't think they're right. This is according to rabbinical tradition. We read the text today. All the text said is on a hill near Moriah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it fits the description, but I can't prove it's the spot. So we're really just in the middle of a disagreement between two descendants of Abraham, <laughs> If it it's my theology best, so I'll say it's true. But they'll say it's not, right? They also have a mosque on that mount, not just a dome. So in that way, John, when we're talking about teaching on the, in the temple, you know, the Muslims are teaching on the Temple Mount. Um, still Abraham's but, descendants. Yeah. Yeah. The fight is between Abraham's descendants. And they claim the Temple Mount not because of Isaac and Abraham. Just coincidentally, in their traditions, when Muhammad ascended to heaven, he did it. Over that rock Why? Mm -hmm. I'm sure they have reasons I'm sure they have their theological Explanations But that's why they built the dome there Honestly I'm kind of happy they did They're protecting the spot No one's destroying it Everyone's honoring it. It's still there. That's nice. And the Dome of the Rock is beautiful. And it's Jesus who took it down, his prediction. I have no desire to see sacrifices happen there. Now, some of my listeners may disagree because of their eschological understandings. People can disagree with Jesus all they want. It's literally Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Right, Peter? <laughs> Weren't were you saying that? Weren't you quoting that? Mm-hmm. But the story's not over, is it? Nope. The story's not over. I don't know why, but Jerusalem has always been the apple of God's eye ever since Eden was lost. N.T. Wright calls the temple in Jerusalem and the sanctuary in general, particularly the temple in Jerusalem, as the crossroads where heaven and earth meet. Mm. Because that's where atonement happens. Mm -hmm. John, the revelator, seen a future version of Jerusalem, we have not yet seen. And he tells us rest of the story we can find parts of the rest of the story in isaiah where isaiah had hoped that the full glory would have been returned at jesus but now it can only happen as a part of this vision that john saw at the very end of the world when all sin and suffering are over then i saw a new heaven And a newer, he says, in the 21st chapter of Revelation. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and there is no longer any sea, no longer any separation. John is on the island of Patmos longing for home. And look at verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying and no more pain for the old and former things have passed away. He was sitting on the throne, referring to the father says I am making everything new and then he says we assume to John the prophet write this down because what I've told you is trustworthy and true so if what Jesus said in Matthew 24 about Jerusalem was fulfilled to the very rock (laughs) at the bottom of the temple walls, (laughs) Mm -hmm. then I think the words of the Father sitting on the throne will also be true. It's not this Jerusalem we're looking for, right? All things will be made new. There'll be a new heaven. There'll be a new earth. There'll be a new you. There'll be a new me. And there'll be a new Jerusalem.
1: I just, um, I mean, the words you read, Vinny, are are beautiful, and, and in reality, they're the hope of every follower of Jesus. But I find it even more interesting that before this part happens in the book of Revelation, there was one more attempt to overthrow this new Jerusalem right? In the preceding chapter, Satan is released and he gathers up his people and his army and he wants to overthrow this Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem. Nice. But he can't. He can't. Because this
0: Jerusalem will last forever. It makes me wonder, Peter, if Titus will be resurrected for that fight.
2: (laughs) Not only Titus, but every major general who didn't make I'm not on the assumption that every general in history is doomed. Actually I think quite a bit of them actually probably will be saved. But either way, the best military minds. So let's just not saying he is or is, we just say hypothetically. Um Geronimo, Genghis Khan, uh Patton, you name it, all down history, Hannibal, um, um Scipio. And then with Detect weapons, you can't not only detect weapons that we have now, Satan being unleashed and be able to at okay, we got all kinds of technology that we we can't even imagine now. Um and I can and I could see him convincing the humans that are left. No, we're going to put together stuff that can even overthrow God. Like you said, the God-killer bombs, that you know, we see sometimes in comics. Well, he's going to literally convince them, yeah, we got God-killer armor. We got God-killer bombs. That city is nothing. We got stuff that they and, you know, So I, I believe it's going to be like a grand effort. It's going to be a unifying force. Nothing In history, nothing unifies a country or a movement more than war, either defending yourself or, or, or attacking someone. So that's going to be definitely a unifying force. Thinking that we can overcome this city, um, it's the, and again, it's the only thing they have to latch on to. So, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah, this this city will not be overcome, but it's not going to be because they're not going to, you know, try doing it. It's one last desperate act of, of people that are already doomed. Could it be? Could be?
0: Could it be? Could it be? What we're saying is, Jerusalem can only be victorious when it chooses the side of the lamb. Amen. Amen. Right? In Titus, in 70 AD, we see God City go to war against the greatest general of its time and get pulverized because it didn't have the lamb when the Lamb was willing to be a part of it. But the New Jerusalem is founded with the Lamb. In a military might, a brilliantly evil emperor and general and war maker, who exceeds, A million billion Tituses (laughs) cannot prevent Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, with the Lamb of
2: God. Amen.
0: You have been listening to a podcast produced by simply Vinnie.com. stop by our website read our blog check us out on Facebook Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and all that jazzy promotional stuff but remember I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you when life throws a monkey wrench at your head Jesus is still the logo the reason, the logic The word that builds your life back all the way to the kingdom of God. Until next time, God will be blessing you. See you at the next podcast.